Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Castro Edge. DJ and Bucky here. And we have Bucky. This is We had the Hall of Fame week, but this feels like the real start of the preseason with tonight. I believe we've got 12 different NFL games kicking off tonight. Yeah, 12 different games, a lot of excitement, a lot of big-time rookies will kind of make their debut, so I'm excited to watch it all. I think it'll be a fascinating night tonight. Yeah, lots to get to here on the pod today. Going to talk about uh, Baker Mayfield's appearance on Hard Knocks and some other topics on Hard Knocks I want to get to, Buck. We've got also our NFC West preview which we're going to jump into and also going to run our interviews with Justin Herbert and Khalil Tate, two of the top quarterbacks out west and two of the bigger names at the position in the entire country. And then I'm going to give you the reason to stick around for the whole episode. You might even want to fast forward and just get to this part of the podcast if you want want you to eat your dessert first here is because I lobbed out on Twitter the other day, had a couple Madden 19 codes, and a lot of times when you get these kind of codes, you're trying to promote the, the product, and so they give you a couple of these, and a lot of people will say, hey, you know, follow me back. It's a, a nice little carrot there. You follow me, and you'll be eligible to get a free code. Well, I don't really care about adding the followers. I'd rather get something a little more meaningful, so I challenge the folks to give me a good Dan Hanzus joke to increase their chances of winning the Madden code. And uh, we've got hundreds of Dan Hanzus jokes that we've challenged Sully, the producer here, of combing through and giving us a top ten list. So we'll finish up the podcast today, Buck, with our top ten Dan <laughs> Hanzus jokes. Oh, boy. This could oh, be yeah. interesting. Yeah, it could get real interesting. So you're going to want to stick around for that. Uh, but as we kick things off, did you get a chance to uh, to see Hard Knocks, Buck? I did. I thought it was fascinating. I was riveted uh, to the TV watching it all. That made, Oh, we got music in the background here? We got... Oh, yeah, oh, it's yeah. that time of year, boys. It's a great theme song, by the way. No, films, Solid. films, they obviously, they don't mess around. they're one of the best in the business at what they do, but the music is always on point. Oh, so good. Uh, we have a little, by the way, do we have a little Baker Mayfield sound? Because that'll lead us right into we our do. discussion we of what we thought of, uh, of the first overall pick on Hard Knocks. Go ahead and let it roll, Sully. 
Tell you what, this is uh, a little <laughs> bit different than Oklahoma training camp. What's up, my son? So I guess that's what you said when you said it was different. I tried to tell you. And uh, what time do you normally get up in the morning? I was a little bit later this morning. No, no, I know, but no, what time do you normally come over? Depends on when we start. Huh? Try and get in about two hours before. Okay. Do you ever come in with uh, your boy Five? He does, it, he does his own little workouts in the morning. Where's your own little workout in the morning? Huh? Where's your own little workout in the morning? You start starting your career how you want to, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's a competition in everything you do, baby. You know how to do it. Why not? That doesn't help. All right, Buck, the floor is yours. Just give me your, your Baker Mayfield reaction there off of episode one here on Hard Knocks. Uh, he's still trying to figure out how to be a pro. He doesn't understand the demands of an NFL quarterback are different than what they may have been asked of as a quarter, as a college quarterback. When you're an NFL quarterback, the expectation is that you're the first one in the building and you're the last one out. Your life becomes consumed with football. You're expected to be there. And if Tyrod Taylor is at the facility at 5 o'clock, well, you need to be there at 445 as a young guy. Um, if you're serious about really challenging for the starting position, you have to outwork and outperform Tyrod Taylor at every turn. The veteran understands that. Baker Mayfield just got a little dose of what it's like to be a pro quarterback there. Yeah, no question. First of all, hats off to Tyrod Taylor. It makes you respect his work ethic for what he puts in. Everybody that, you know, multiple people say first guy in, as you mentioned, last guy out, getting there at 5 o'clock in the morning, understands as a veteran what it takes to uh, to be successful at this level. A couple things I really like from Baker, though, you could see how – you know, the personality and, you know, the way he is around his teammates, even when he got up in front of the room and sang the song, he's very comfortable in his own skin. You can see he's got that kind of that it quality that people are going to want to be around him. But I think you hit it. It's just it's not just that. It's not just being physically talented enough to play on the field, which he has. He can really mm-hmm. throw the football. He can move around. He looked clean uh, in some of the practice clips that they showed. It's, a, you know, the leadership, the personality stuff. He checks all those boxes. But – there's just a time uh, component to this deal. It is exhausting, uh, the preparation that is needed to play that position at a high level. I remember another quarterback um, in the last few years uh, that was drafted and, and had talked to another a friend of mine in, uh, in the quarterback space and said, hey, you know, here's what I'm doing, X, Y, and Z. Is it enough? And my buddy told him, no, it's never there, – there is no such thing as is there enough. There is not enough. You cannot over-prepare at that position. It's an exhausting process to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. It is what it is. It is what it is. I, I, I think it's um, – it, it was funny that Hugh Jackson uh, kind of called his quarterback over and they were able to kind of get that sound bite. And he kind of asked him, point blade, what time did you get over? And look – Baker's trying to put on this good thing like, hey, two hours before we have to get going, go through my routine, but you know Tyrod's on the own thing. And I think for everybody, not just quarterbacks, but for all of the young players that are coming into the league, they kind of have to learn the process of how to be a pro, how to go about working, how to kind of take this job as um, a career, how to really do it the way that you want to do it to be great at it. And so it was a small lesson. I think the bigger thing will – be to continue to monitor how does Baker Mayfield change over the next five or six weeks that we're able to kind of get the behind-the-scenes look at hard knocks? How does he handle playing in games? How does he handle the success or failures that may come along in the preseason? And does his demeanor change? Inevitably, for all of the rookies that we're seeing, even some of the younger veterans, 
you lose a little bit of confidence when things don't go your way. I'm curious to see how he battles back through some of those adverse moments before we get to the season to see if he's really prepared to be the number one player in Cleveland. Yeah, look, there's no – it's unique being the first overall pick, and there is no expectation that you're going to play. I mean, this is Tyrod Taylor's team, and it doesn't sound to me like he's been given a short leash either. Uh, Tyrod Taylor is going to get a chance to run with this thing with the Browns and see if they can't get it turned around. So I don't anticipate we're going to see a lot of Baker Mayfield if, if Tyrod is able to stay healthy. Other takeaways there from Hard Knocks. The Hugh Jackson stuff I thought was fascinating. Uh, man, you really feel for him. It was a touching scene when he's going through the loss of his mother, mm-hmm. uh, coming on the heels of, of losing his brother. That was pretty emotional there. Uh, it, it really the really cool John Dorsey kind of pops in there and gives him a hug, and, and, and Hugh kind of broke down a little bit. But uh, outside of that, I thought the, the biggest scene, the thing that jumped out to me the most from the episode, and I think it's been talked about a little bit, is uh, is that scene where they're talking about resting players. And Hugh Jackson mm-hmm. has explained to the staff certain guys are going to take days off. It references you know Duke Johnson, who's had some hamstring issues, so they're going to be preventative. And Todd Haley, coming over from the Pittsburgh Steelers, is very – you can you can tell he's very frustrated. Freddie Kitchens is the first one to speak up, and I believe him and Todd Haley go back together because they were together they did, in Arizona. They were together right? in Arizona, yes. So there's a, kind of like you can almost see it's not like – and you hate to say, okay, there's starting to be factions on the staff, but they're definitely – they were paired up on that opinion that, hey, we have to get tougher. You can't continue to do things the way they've been done here in the past. The only way you get tougher is by going out there and, and getting after it. You don't get tougher by periodically resting in young players, not not veterans, but uh, but but young players. And Hugh Jackson basically just said, hey, I'm, I'm in charge, you're not, and this is the way I'm doing it, end of discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate Hugh trying to be diplomatic, wanted to hear them out. But I also think, like, a little bit of this scene has kind of been misconstrued. Like, we're in a different time in the National Football League now. Everyone are using the GPS monitoring systems yep. to track players' bodies and what their their physical fitness levels are and do they need a recovery, what they need to do to hydrate to get them back to form. So the old days of, hey, we're going to grind it out, like, that's cool, but that's probably not the best way to go about it because – At the end of the day, we all talk about in training camp, you want to get to week one with a fully loaded gun. You want to make sure that all your top players are available and ready to play in week one. And some of the things that they're doing when it comes to tracking and monitoring um, the GPS stuff is to make sure that players are able to recover, are able to come back to form. They're not beaten down where they can't perform at a maximum level when it's time to really gear it up. And so I appreciate and respect Todd Haley and Freddie Kitchens and those guys coming from an old-school approach. But, look, the game has changed. And if you don't meet them halfway, the worst thing you could have is a player hurt. Now you really don't give them for the practice time to really work. We're talking about a day that they may get a practice off. We're not talking about a week off. But I do think it's interesting when you look at just recently. Go back last year, Jacksonville. Remember all the chirping? Some of those veteran players complaining about your your old guy there, your old friend and Tom Coughlin, mm-hmm. who kind of came back into the building and, and kind of let it be known from the top down that we are going to be physical. We're going to have long physical practices. Very much an old school approach. And a lot of people credit that physicality to try and flipping things around there for the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. You see it. You heard a little bit about it in the offseason with Detroit. Um, you know, with Matt Patricia coming over from New England, some of the veteran players like, man, this is, you know, doing up downs and everything else. It, you know, there's a balance, I think, between the new school with all the information, the GPS and the, the catapult system and all that with that old school mentality of the only way you're going to get there is, is by putting in putting in the hours and putting in the work. It's just 
there's two different schools of thought, and I thought it was fascinating to see it all inside that one room. Yeah, I think it is fascinating. I think the bigger thing would be, like, obviously, you know the Eagle staff very, very well. How did Doug Peterson and those guys approach? Because they were at the cutting edge based on all the yeah. stuff that Chip Kelly left behind. How much of that did they use? Now, I will say this. Doug and I were together in Green Bay. When we were in Green Bay with Mike Holmgren, who came from San Francisco, we didn't have these grinded out practices. We didn't have pads on all the time. It was more mm-hmm. mental than physical. There was some contact, but m- the most important part of it was I want you to fly around, get to the right spot, make sure you know exactly what to do, and then when we get to the games or the live periods, that's when we let it go. But it wasn't just a lot of beating people up for the sake of beating people up and saying that we're the most physical team. Yeah, the interesting thing is I, you know, I think people would say, okay, I spent time with the Ravens and the Eagles, those two organizations in particular. Ravens viewed as the physical defensive team. You would think that they were just these long, drawn-out, you know, a lot of banging going on in practice. Really wasn't. Coach Billick, there was a lot of veteran days for the older guys, the over-30 club, I think is what he called it. Gave those guys a lot of time off. Um, there was there was moments in practice where you'd have live periods, but they were few and far between. And then you think the, the Eagles with Andy Reid, and he loves to pass the ball so much, and then maybe it's a more finesse – Andy Reid, those practices were long and physical. They were padded up. There was a lot of tackling. I, I was shocked at just how, how physical those practices were under Coach Reid, which is interesting hearing you talk about Holmgren because Andy was there during that during that period with that group and uh, must have felt like he needed to change a little something because well, uh, there were some physical practices there with the Eagles. Well, I will say this. I went from playing in Green Bay under Mike Holmgren, who believed in a little more of a cerebral approach when it came to practice, to then going to Kansas City, playing under Marty Schottheimer, who believed in old school, let's take it back to the 1950s, we're going to practice for three <laughs> hours and beat each other up. Yeah. I will say this about both approaches. In the Green Bay approach, which is really the San Francisco 49ers approach, I do believe on Sundays, if you don't have a veteran team, it can take you a while to get used to the physicality and the speed of game day. Mm-hmm. Under Marty in Kansas City, we felt like we were the bullies on the block. We felt like on Sundays we could beat you up and the like. The only problem with Marty's style or the way that we kind of practice, by the end of the season, you kind of wear down. Like yep. there are only so many reps that you have in your body over the course of a season. And so if you squeeze all the juice out of the orange on the practice field, you really don't have a lot left when we get into the postseason when the game really becomes even faster. So there's a way to mix them both. But I don't think you can skew too far to one or the other or your team is not going to be necessarily prepared to play the kind of style of football that you have to play to be successful in the postseason. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a balance there. you got to find it. Um, I mean, I'd go back to just our visit with the Chargers and Casey Hayward. I asked him if he get, was getting some vet days. He said, nah, I'm not old enough. haven't been there yet. I'm like, Casey, this is year seven, man. You're seven in the in the league. He's like, yeah, I think i got to get to year ten before I can start getting <laughs> some of those days. So every place is different w- with how they do it, no doubt. Uh, Buck, let's jump into the NFC West. We've been trying to preview – uh, division an episode here as we get towards the regular season already the AFC West you can check that out on the previous episode NFC West though uh, big picture thoughts on the division then we'll jump into the individual teams uh, I think we're seeing a change in the guard at the top we saw it last year with the Rams going to the top of the division the Seahawks were right there as the runner-up but for a long time the Seahawks kind of owned this division even though they didn't win it from 
like a five-year run consecutively, they've always were in the mix and the way that they played kind of lorded over the division. Now we've seen a change in the guard. The L.A. Rams are prominent figures having won a division a season ago. The San Francisco 49ers appear to be a team on the rise. And the Seattle Seahawks are a team in transition when you look at all of the departures of the veteran players that made them so good. And with a new coach coming into Arizona, I think we're seeing kind of a flipping of the order in the NFC West. I know the Rams would be there. I'm trying to figure out what other teams are going to compete with them to be the winners. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, to me, Seattle had been the classiest division for a while. Um, it, to me, I just I, I struggle with what they're going to look like this year. Don't have high expectations there. San Francisco's got a lot of buzz. Arizona, I think you know it's a new look offense for them. And when you consider we get David Johnson back healthy, and then you mix in Sam Bradford and Josh Rose in that combination, we'll see how that plays out. But the Rams appear to be on paper, and based off what we saw last year, the class of the division. And uh, to me, that's where we, where you start. I, the expectation there is that they are a Super Bowl-caliber team. Anything short of that would be a disappointment. And if they didn't win the division, it would be a major disappointment uh, for this football team. But, Buck, when you look at all the roster changes they've had, all the additions on the defensive side of the ball, we'll assume the Aaron Donald thing will work itself out. Are there any concerns at all when you look at their rosters or anything you look at and say, man, I don't know, this, is, this would be the one area with this football team that would, uh, that would concern me? Uh, they don't have the presence of an established outside pass rusher. Um, I love Aaron Donald, the potential of Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue on the inside. Uh, I think they can give people problems when you think about having those two guys dealing with centers and guards throughout the league, but they don't have anyone who can give you that quick pace pass rush off the edge. Last year they had Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn uh, they let go, but Robert Quinn had eight, eight and a half sacks coming off the edge. He was a guy that was a multiple-time pro bowler, a guy who consistently could get to the quarterback when he was right. They don't have that. And in this league, and at this league appears to be trending, more quick passes, more balls designed to get out of the quarterback's hands quickly into the hands of the playmakers on the perimeter that can make it happen on catch-and-run concepts. You have to be able to disrupt and affect the timing of the passing game. And I love being able to bring the pressure up the middle, but I also believe you have to have someone on the outside. The Rams don't have that person right now. I'm going to give you somebody who I think, well, let's see. I'm going to say this person could end up being maybe third on the team in sacks this year. So you know Aaron Donald's going to do his thing. We'll see what happens with Sue. Uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to collect a few as well. I'm going to say this pass rush, where it gets aided, is going to be from Mark Barron as a blitzer. Because when you've got the corners that they have now that can mug you at the line of scrimmage, when, when you line up Marcus Peters and you line up Aqib Tlaib, you can disrupt the line of scrimmage and, and create a little uncertainty, take away the quick rhythm throws, and then that allows you to be more aggressive, send pressure. So to me, Mark Barron, an explosive dude, uh, being creative with him, Wade Phillips I think will find a way. Uh, let him hunt a little bit. Let him blitz inside, outside, wherever you want to do it. Um, but I, I think you can bring some numbers now with the secondary they have in place. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think they can do it a couple different ways. Um, I think the thing, when you listen to Wade Phillips talk about the defense, he talks about having guys that can not only cover on the outside and press, but they can play off. So that allows them to be a little creative. They don't always have to bring man pressures. They can sit off and play zone pressures and allow their guys to read routes and jump routes and be very, very aggressive on the routes that happen in front of them. Um, they also have the ability to kind of shift styles depending on what they want to do. Do they want a keep to leave to travel and go with like a bigger receiver? Do they want Marcus Peters to go with the other receiver? How do they jumble up the rest of the lineup? And one guy that is rarely mentioned but could be a huge asset for them is Sam Shields. Sam Shields, 
the former Green Bay Packer, was signed in the offseason kind of under the radar, missed last season kind of recovering from a series of concussions. If he is able to get back in the lineup and if he's able to stay healthy, that gives them another Pro Bowl corner in the back end. They'll have three Pro Bowl corners on their roster. That's something that many teams don't have, and it gives them a lot of flexibility in how they go about attacking offenses. The other thing with the Rams I would keep an eye on this year on the offensive side of the ball, everybody knows you talk about Todd Gurley and Goff and Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks coming in there, Cooper Cup, year two, what to expect there. To me, people ask where the room for growth is with this offense. I'll give you the two young tight ends, Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. We saw some flashes from them last year. But being able to get that tight end position a little more involved in this offense, I think that could be the next step for them just in terms of adding to what they already have, which is one of the best offenses in the NFL. Uh, I mean, they, their offense is unbelievable. Uh, the way they were able to maximize Ty Gurley, the way they were able to build the offense around what Jerry Goff does really, really well, a lot of play-action passes, a lot of things that were designed to get him kind of one-on-one looks where he could kind of target the, the home run ball or find someone coming underneath. And now with Brandon Cooks being on the outside, their ability to really um, kind of use misdirection and deception to create explosive plays could take an offense that is already pretty good and near great to, man, unstoppable. This is a team that averages like 30 points a game. I, I just can't imagine yeah. them being better, but they could be better with the personnel that they've added and the year of experience in Sean McVay's system. No question. All right, let's get to the Arizona Cardinals here. This is a team I'm going to see up close and personal here on Saturday night when they face off against the Chargers. But when you look at this Arizona team, Buck, what jumps out to you? Uh, you know, first thing that jumps out to me on offense, it is all about David Johnson. David Johnson is the guy that kind of makes this offense go. So what does he look like returning from his injury? We know they're not going to play him a lot, but I kind of want to get a feel for the concepts that they may use to use him not only to feature him, but to set up other things for other players off of using DJ2K as a threat. I also want to see what Larry Fitzgerald looks like in brief action because he's an older player, but he's still the number one receiver on that team. How are they able to put DJ2K, Larry Fitzgerald, in one-on-one situations where they can thrive and then bring the young guys along until they're ready to be complimentary playmakers? Yeah, it's all good thoughts there. I, I, to me, another name to keep an eye on here with this offense, Chase Edmonds is a rookie for them. He's got a lot of buzz, fourth-round pick, small school. Um, but you're going to have to take some of those carries off David Johnson. David Johnson can touch the ball a million times with what he does in the run game and the pass game. You don't want to overload him, so I think finding somebody else you could sprinkle in there. Chase Edmonds is the name that comes to mind. Uh, DJ Foster is another one uh, who's a local kid. Went to Saguaro High School there in uh, in Phoenix. Or was that Scottsdale, Buck? Is Saguaro and, yep. and uh, Scottsdale. Him and Christian Kirk, who's another member of this offense, were high school teammates. So uh, it'll be fun to see how they incorporate those other backs outside David Johnson. But in doing my homework for this game this week, Buck, I, I don't know why I, just, I didn't put this together. But when you look at this offensive line now, check this out. DJ Humphreys, first-round pick. Mike Iapati, first-round pick. Justin mm-hmm. Pugh, first-round pick. Andre Smith, first-round pick. Four of their five starters. Mason Cole is the rookie. He's slated to start at center. But outside Mason Cole, those other four offensive linemen, all first-round picks. Yeah, I mean, look, that matters. And I don't care what anyone says about first-round picks and whether they flamed out in their first place at the first destination or with their first team. It still speaks volumes about – how people viewed or perceived their talent. 
And so when you have four talented guys on the offensive line, you're hoping that an offensive line coach can work on their technique enough where they can play together and have enough chemistry to be a solid offensive line. That is the X factor for the Arizona Cardinals because they were horrible a year ago. If they're better, if they can protect the quarterback and maybe keep Sam Bradford or Josh Rosen upright, the offense has enough firepower to give people problems, and I think that defense is going to be a little better than people expect. Yeah, speaking of that defense, Marcus Golden, if they can get him back healthy coming off of his injury, you pair him up with Chandler Jones. That's an outstanding edge rush duo that you have there. Uh, Kim Dietschy, Robert Kim Dietschy, their first-round pick in 2016. Reports have been positive with him during training camp. Looks like he's going to start this year. Then you look at Hassan Reddick, hopefully taking that next step in year number two. With him uh, and Dale Buchanan, you've got two linebackers that are versatile and that can fly. And then the player in the secondary to keep an eye on, Buda Baker, last year's second-round pick, made the all-pro team as a special teamer, but they felt confident enough in his ability to step on the field as a full-time safety that they moved on from the Honey Badger. So uh, Buda Baker having a big year is something to keep an eye on here with this Arizona defense. It is something to keep an eye on, but also keep an eye on the way this defense changes. Under James Betcher, uh, this defense finished in the top six the last three years. Part of the reason they were able to kind of generate those kind of numbers, they were super aggressive when it came to blitzing. Blitz all over the place, brought people from every angle, played a lot of man-to-man. Well, Steve Wilkes in Carolina, they blitzed on 44% of their defensive snaps a season ago. He wants to use it kind of more in it with zone pressure, zone principles. They're not having Patrick Peterson travel. He's going to have an opportunity to play more off, see and read routes, maybe make more plays on the ball and get interceptions. I'm just interested to see how this new defensive scheme plays out and how they utilize their players. But Buda Baker is a big part of that because they moved on from Honey Badger because they felt like Baker was ready to handle more responsibility and take advantage of more opportunities on the, in the starting lineup. Yeah, and it sounds like Sam Bradford has kind of established himself clearly as a starter. We'll see how long it takes before Josh Rosen sees the field. Maybe Sam Bradford uh, plays poorly, or maybe it's an injury. The one interesting thing is when you look at Sam Bradford's numbers, though, over the last three years when he's been on the field, it's been good. Obviously, the durability has been the uh, the main concern there. If he stays healthy, I think he holds off Josh Rosen for a little bit longer than maybe we all anticipated. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can't really knock Sam Bradford for what he has done when he's been on the Cashing field. Cashing in. The last time we saw him on the field, he performed really, really well. One, the end of the season, two years ago when he played for the Minnesota Vikings, he was very efficient, very effective, uh, was the leader in completion percentage. That record was since broken by Drew Brees. 71.3. Right, think, which is crazy. Like, like This speaks volumes Same. about his, effic- his efficiency. Then in the first game of the season against the New Orleans Saints a season ago, he lit them up before the next week not being able to play and not being able to come back. So when he's available, he has been a really good quarterback. Let's see if he can stay healthy because if he stays healthy, I think he does give them a really good chance to win games. No question. All right, let's move on to San Francisco. The fighting Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, an offense, Buck, that uh, – man, there's a lot expected of this offense, and I think it starts right there at the quarterback position. They've made some some moves along the offensive line as well. You bring in a, a Weston Richburg. You, you draft a Mike McGlinchey in the first round. It seems like they're investing in the trenches, which we always believe is a, is a smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, when when you look at what the San Francisco 49ers are trying to do, the San Francisco 49ers want to be a team like Kyle Shanahan has always had, where they can run the football, set you up with misdirection off that stretch bootleg series, take big shots down the field off that misdirection action, and be very, very efficient 
and complimentary in the passing game. Last year, Jimmy Garoppolo comes in. They run the system. They're not able to really run the ball, but Jimmy Garoppolo was so good taking care of the ball, finding the playmakers, getting the ball to the receivers on the perimeter, and allowing them to do their thing, that it worked. This year, they should have an upgraded team. You talked about the offensive line. I'll talk about Jared McKinnon coming over, giving them one of those hybrid-type running backs, even though he's smaller, but kind of built in the Devontae Freeman mode, and I know how much you loved him. I'm How a much big Devontae Freeman, Freeman guy. Go right. check out our running back video there. <laughs> yeah, so, so if you think about Jerry McKinnon being able to do some of the Devontae Freeman stuff, it's good. The other guy that I'm watching, Marquise Goodwin. Man, if you look yeah. at Twitter, you, you read the reports that are coming on the Internet, he's been lighting it up in camp. I text with a guy that was up there. He said, look, man, the guy looks good. He looks like he might be able to handle the number one role. That is shocking to hear a guy that was a number four receiver in Buffalo emerge as maybe the number one in San Francisco, but because of the system and because how Kyle Shanahan is taking advantage of Goodwin's speed and explosiveness, maybe just maybe we'll see him kind of thrive in that number one role in San Francisco. How about that Buffalo receiving group from a couple years ago now when you look at it? Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, Marquise Goodwin, Hogan. Hogan was there, right? Yeah, Chris Hogan was there. Good Lord. Mm. How about Look what they got now. I know. How about not taking advantage of what maybe you had there? Like, I mean, I think that's the thing. Maybe if they had taken better advantage of the players and the talents that they had, the athleticism, the speed, and those things, maybe they could have scored more points. Now, the weather certainly impacts that a little bit, but they could have – they probably could have opened it up a little more and trusted those guys to make some plays instead of just being a ground-and-pound team. They relied extensively on Shady McCoy. Uh, another thing on the offense here, and then we'll move over to the defensive side of the ball here for the Niners. Again, same thing as Arizona. Look at this offensive line. Joe Staley, first-rounder. Lakin Tomlinson, first-rounder. Josh Garnett, first-rounder. Mike McGlinchey, first-rounder. Weston Richburg, the center, was, I believe, the 43rd pick. So four of their five offensive linemen, first-round picks, and the center was a was a high second-round pick. So, again, these teams are investing, and Lakin Tomlinson obviously wasn't their first-round pick. He was picked in Detroit. Uh, but these these teams are investing resources in the offensive line. I always think that's smart business practice. Oh, it's absolutely smart business practice. Um, it's not only about accumulating talent. You want to make sure that you have enough guys that can create a push that can play the style of play that you want to play on the offensive line. And so fit and scheme matters. And I think the San Francisco 49ers have gotten some first-round picks that may have been cast-offs in their previous destinations, but they fit what they want to do. They're athletic. They can move people off the ball. They can climb to the next level. They can thrive in this zone-based scheme. So it'll be – It'd be fun to see this come together, and it'd be fun to watch Jimmy Garoppolo take a next, another step because everyone now has film on him. How does Jimmy Garoppolo react, and how does Kyle Shanahan take some of the pressure off Garoppolo by building a running game that maybe prevents defensive coordinators from throwing out some of the tricks and things that they want to do to slow down number 10? Yeah, it'll be fun to watch this offense on the defensive side of the ball real quick here, Buck. Uh, Reuben Foster – uh, having him for the majority of the season will be huge for this football team. He's a, he is definitely a difference maker in the middle of that defense, provides a mentality. Uh, the secondary is going to be fascinating. Richard Sherman coming over. Do we see the same Richard Sherman we saw? Is he kind of rejuvenated by this move inside the division to the Niners? And Akella Witherspoon is a name that's, man, he's been generating a lot of buzz uh, with his improvements. He's a lot physically bigger 
than he was at Colorado. He's added some good weight there. So uh, we'll see what this secondary looks like with uh, some young emerging players and then the old Grizzly veteran Richard Sherman uh, jumping in here with this group. Yeah, Richard Sherman, I think he's there more so to provide leadership. Like, yes, they want to depend on him to be a guy that can lock up on the perimeter, but he's no longer that guy. He was no longer that special guy that we saw as maybe a shutdown corner. But what he is is a veteran corner who has savvy, who can teach the young guys how to play, how to play within that system, how to make plays when those plays are there and set traps. Um, where the spoon is a guy that's interesting because heard Richard Sherman's comments about the young guy. The young guy is a competitive guy. One, when we watched him at Colorado, my biggest question was, is he going to be able to kind of throw his head up in there? Is he going to be physical enough to play on the yeah. perimeter? He's grown up in a lot of ways, but he has really shown some nice cover skills. And as he is kind of hanging in Richard Sherman's back pocket, he picks up some of those tips and tricks that Richard Sherman has used throughout his career. Maybe, just maybe, he can be an elite corner. Well, let's get over to Richard Sherman's other team here, his uh, his previous spot with the Seattle Seahawks. Man, Buck, I tell you what, it, games are not won or lost on paper, and I think that's probably a good thing for Seattle because on paper, I'm not all that fired up about this group. No, I'm not fired up about the group, but what I am fired up about is number three. Russell Wilson uh, played at an MVP level for a team that didn't make the playoffs. Letterman rushing, Letterman receiving, had 34 uh, passing touchdowns, played outstanding without a Have lot of Have we got him a Febreze deal yet? Under. Have we got I mean, him a Febreze deal? I mean, he needs to because he makes it right. Um, the challenge I think Russell Wilson will face, I don't believe he has a very creative play caller in his corner now. I'm not saying Daryl Bevel was um, an offensive guru, uh, creative <laughs> artist when it came to designing plays, but Brian Schottheimer certainly is, isn't one of those guys that is viewed as an innovator when it comes to putting together offenses. So how does that relationship mesh? How does Schottheimer take advantage of Russell Wilson's abilities as a dual threat playmaker? Can they craft a scheme that allows them to get some easier uh, home run opportunities and kind of help this offense get going? More creative, uh, Brian Schottenheimer as a play caller or John Dorsey as a close, uh, uh, let me see what's see. His, uh, it would a be a wardrobe, wardrobe, wardrobe decision maker. Oof. Um, oof. I, would I mean, say. I know John Dorsey's wearing the gray sweatshirt. And I know, and I, I know Schottenheimer's running on first and ten. Oh, man. Um, man, I would say that's a push. <laughs> that's a push. They're about the same. Um uh. They'll do a lot. Who of- needs to step up, Buck? And I look at this offense here. I mean, Chris Carson, is it going to be his gig? You know, Rashad Penny competing for that job. I'm sure they'll kind of split some carries there in the backfield. This offensive line that's been much maligned. Uh, Dwayne Brown at least solidifies a left tackle spot. I like Ethan Posick. Uh, Justin Britt's okay. You've got DJ Fluker and Jermaine Effetti on the right side. That scares me a little bit. Uh, you've got Nick Vanette, who's who's you know, got some ability but still has a lot to prove in this league. Um, Ed Dixon, he's just kind of a journeyman veteran. Will Disley's the blocking tight end they drafted in the fourth round out of, out of UW. Um, Doug Baldwin is a, a special player. You don't worry about him. But what's going what's gonna to be next to him? Tyler Lockett, can he stay healthy? Can he step up? Does Brandon Marshall have anything left? I mean, there are so many question marks on this offense. I mean, there, I mean, there, are, a ton of, there are a ton of question marks. I, I don't know where to begin. It's just a very, very um, interesting time for them right now so much transition uh new scheme new coaches everywhere 
Just not the traditional team that we've seen kind of dominate in the NFC West. How about the Legion of Who? I mean, yeah, because there are no recognizable names, particularly with Earl Thomas sitting out, and it doesn't appear that he's going to be coming anytime soon. Pete Carroll believes that he can kind of dig back in time and kind of make it a very, very competitive atmosphere, the kind of atmosphere that allowed them to grow into a bit of a dynasty up in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know because their draft record hasn't been great of late. I don't know if those players that they have kind of pegged for those roles can do it, but one of the stars of the training camp, according to reports, according to some of the people you talked about, Shaquem Griffin has been really, really good. We'll get a chance to see him. Uh, live, we get a chance to see if he can put it together in a game. But everything they're talking about is him being an effective playmaker. They need it because they need more people uh, on the second level of that defense to step up, not only a linebacker, but in the back end and secondary as well. All right, pick one, 10 and 6, 6 and 10. For the Seahawks? Six, yeah. 6 and 10. Yeah, me too. Yeah, maybe they'll prove us wrong, but that's that's what it looks like to me, at least on paper here. We'll see in the preseason what some of these young guys look like uh, and go from there. Uh, let's talk some college football here, Buck. We got college football. Shoot, I guess less than a month away. Sully will probably have the exact date. How many? How many days we got, Sully? Before twenty-three. Of course, not of course. counting. I that. knew. I knew he would know that. <laughs> uh, anybody or anything you're looking forward to, Buck? We're going to roll some sound here in a minute with our our chats with Justin Herbert and and Khalil Tate from Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, but anything else jump out at you right now? You that's on your mind? I know obviously the Urban Meyer news has kind of dominated everything. Jalen Hurts story popped up uh, where he had some things to say. Wasn't too happy about the lack of communication with him from the Alabama coaching staff. But uh, just anything you're looking forward to right now as we're you know, 23 days out from the regular season. Well, if you talked about this on multiple occasions, uh, it's all about the defensive line when it comes to college football right now. Ed Oliver, uh, Dexter Lawrence, Rashawn Gary, uh, the defensive line guys, Christian Wilkins, others. There are a ton of guys up front. Man, I forgot Nick Bosa. There are a ton of guys yeah, up front that can be dominant players. And I know it's not sexy when it comes to TV ratings and the stuff, and when we get to the draft, uh, path to the draft and a run-up to the draft, those names aren't necessarily what we want to push just because they just don't get the clicks and the eyeballs. But any team that um, is looking ahead and trying to figure out how to value um, your defensive players, when you have a Khalil Mack and an Aaron Donald sitting out, you can have the confidence knowing, that if we let that guy go, maybe, just maybe, we can get a replacement at a more cost-effective deal in next year's draft because there's some intriguing prospects in the next year's class, particularly up front. Yeah, we're always looking at guys that are draft-eligible and, and focusing towards the draft. But i got to be honest with you, guilty pleasure for me, college football season early early on, especially because some of these teams, you know, you're not going to have too many great matchups early on. you got some cupcakes selfishly, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this because of how much time you spent around the high school game. I love watching all these new young guys get a chance to play, all these high-profile players. Some of them are going to start right away. Others will be kind of uh, introduced into the lineup as we get into some blowouts. I think of a team just like Alabama right off the top of my head. You're going to see them jump on people early, and we'll get a chance to see some of these freshmen. We've heard the names. Now we get to see the games. I I love watching these young guys step on a college field and seeing what they look like. Yeah, there are a lot of players like that can get on the field and play right away. I think when you um, just think about the quarterbacks and the exciting quarterbacks that we know, uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson um, being, I guess, in a battle for the number one spot at Clemson with uh, what's his name, Kelly? What's Kelly? Oh, Kelly name? Bryant. Kelly yeah. Bryant, like uh, being in a battle for him. Justin Fields maybe yeah, having Georgia. an opportunity to, man, how about the, a freshman could supplant 
a guy that led Dude, his team the national to the championship national title. Game. But Justin Fields have an opportunity to get in the mix at Georgia. Uh, I'm excited to see those young guys have yeah, an JT opportunity. JT Daniels to do at SC, too. Yeah, J- I mean, JT Daniels at SC. The young quarterbacks having the opportunity to get on the field. Not only does it speak volumes about their talent, but man, what about the courage for these coaches to be able to put a young guy on the field and build an offense around what they can do? He's not a young guy, but I would throw Kyler Murray in there too for OU. New, newer oh yeah, guy that'll be fascinating. That'll be fun. Uh, FAU. He's out literally the gates a one too. and done. He yeah. is a one and done. I mean, a real one and done. How about that? Yeah, that's going to be fun. And then a couple others, um, just players that I've seen a little bit. We talk about blink scouting, that kind of scan scouting. When these guys are younger, you take a peek at them, and I'm really looking forward to putting them under the microscope. How about Raekwon Davis from Alabama, a big defensive lineman, getting him out there and getting a chance to finally be the dude there for that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, Man, Alabama just continues to reload. They have so many guys that I'm excited to see on their roster. Jerry Judy have an opportunity to play more. Oh, that's Najee your dude, Harris man. Have an opportunity to play more. Whatever they decide to do at quarterback, which one of those guys emerge. And then – just looking at all the talent that they always have on defense, which guys will we eventually talk about as first-round picks down the line, be it this year or next year. So much talent, so much talent at Alabama, so much talent down the SEC. Kind of excited for the college football season to kick off. Yeah, we'll get into some game previews and, and what we're looking for as we get a little bit closer to the season. But I just want to give you a little taste there, just a little college football taste um, before we move on here. Uh, before we do, though, get to the highlight of the episode, which is going to be the top ten Dan Hanses jokes we collected on Twitter. Uh, let's run our, our conversation. This is why I had a chance at Pac-12 Media Day to sit down with Justin Herbert and Khalil Tate. Uh, here's what two of the most talented quarterbacks in college football had to say. Justin, we got a chance to visit with you last year. And you went out, missed some games with, with injury, but I don't know, when you walked over here, I told Bucky, I said, I, I don't know, what you put on, 20 pounds since we saw you here last year? Man, you look huge. Appreciate that, 20, 30 pounds of, uh, of muscle. But uh, oh, with, the, with the new strength staff we had, it's, it's, it's been uh, really easy. They've done a great job. In, Dude, in, with the handlebar mustache, has got, yeah. got you going up there, the strength <laughs> coach, Georgia. He's, he's done a great job. Jeez. What are you, so what are you weighing right now? Uh, about 240. Wow. Oh. That's How much were you last year? You like two, two fifteen? Yeah, two fifteen, two ten, two twenty. That's what I'm saying. Man, wow. My man went through adulthood in the one yeah. year since we saw him. We're all the way up. What have you been doing this off season, man? Besides eating weights, <laughs> throwing uh, throwing the football as much as I can. Uh, just going out there with with our guys has has, has been awesome. Brendan Schooler, Johnny Johnson, Dylan Mitchell, throwing with them as much as I can, building time with them. Did you get a chance to get away at all? Did you get a chance to get away from football at all? Get a little break, or you just been? Yeah, actually, so we got a week off and uh, went to Africa. Whoa. Yeah. Tell, Whoa. tell us about that wow. real quick. What happened there? Uh, so we went over there and built a basketball court for a community and, and uh, kind of just got to, to live with them for a little bit and learn about them, and it was a really great experience. Wow, that's a fantastic experience. That's unbelievable. How would you get involved in that? Uh, so there's this program called O Heroes at our school where they do a bunch of community service events, and, and uh, they kind of talked about how there was an event going to Uganda, and uh, I've always wanted to go to Africa. And it was a great opportunity, and glad I got to go. That's fantastic. Wow. How about your uh, your goals here for the upcoming season? What uh, uh, what have you been focusing on? What have you been working on to get yourself ready to have a big year? I think take continuing to take a step forward. I think we took a big step forward last year, um, and we'll just continue to progress. And I think we got a lot of the pieces to the puzzle and just got to put them in the right place. So from a personal standpoint, what are some of the things that you're working on? What do you want to kind of show the world when it comes to your game? I think to continue being a vocal leader, I think that's something that I didn't do a great job of the past couple of years. But that's something that Coach Chris and I have worked on and, and uh, looking forward to, to trying out this year. 
Give us a player on this team here, maybe somebody we don't know much about that's going to emerge, and we're going to be talking about uh, halfway through the season. Go, whoa, where'd this guy come from? I would say C.J. Verdell. He's a running little back. little running back from San Diego, yeah. I think, yeah. Yep. See, come on, man. Yeah. San, I'm from San Diego. That's all we do is produce talented <laughs> running backs. I'm just saying Marcus Allen, Ricky Williams, Rashad oh Salama, my gosh. I don't know, this Reggie funny. Bush. <laughs> Anybody else? Anyways, tell us about C.J. C.J. is a very strong running back. He's he's a guy that came in and, and uh, at times torched uh, the – the first team defense on the scout team and he was a guy that ran wild and and uh i knew from day one that he was going to be a special back this, 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 this all we do I'm is la- produce running backs laughing San Diego, about man. that i, I want to ask you something like how tough is it to be kind of like a hometown hero like growing up in eugene playing at sheldon then continuing to stay at oregon how tough is it to kind of handle all of the pressure that goes with being a guy that's supposed to bring the program back while also growing up there. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but it's it's a lot of fun. I have guys around me that that make it so much easier, and, and uh, I've had one of the most one of the most fun times at Oregon, and it's been a great experience, and, and I wouldn't change it for anything. One of the times it wasn't fun though was bowl game, right? Things don't go the way you want. There's some turnovers in that ball game. How quick uh, do you turn the page from that, and how is that kind of motivation as you launch yourself into the off season? Yeah, um, I think I I continue to think about that game. I it hasn't escaped my mind for however six seven months that it's that it's been since but uh it's a game that that will stay with me and what and happened it was a game that we just didn't execute we had a game plan going in and and uh unfortunately didn't didn't play as well as we would have liked and a lot of that is to my fault but uh it's a game that we'd like to forget and, and learn from and most importantly um so final thing i think we, we kind of have to bring up the obvious thing like there's been a lot of conversation about you potentially uh playing at the next level how do you juggle the expectations and, and kind of the hype that goes along with NFL stuff with trying to stay focused on just being the best player that you can be at Oregon? It's a huge honor, for sure. Um, but I don't, want it, I don't want it to take away from the team because I think that's what's most important. And I think about the guys on the team. I think about a guy like Cam McCormick and, and Jake Breland, who, who are some of my best friends, and, and uh, I don't, I don't want to take away from them because I want it to be all about the team, and, and they deserve my best just like I deserve their best. You put any kind of a timetable on that at all in terms of, of when you're going to even think about that or approach that subject? I really haven't spent too much time thinking about it, honestly. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's something that I'll think about when the time comes, but um, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. This is my last question because I'm just curious. You've added all this weight. You look great. You've run around and make a lot of plays with your legs. Have you been able to maintain your athleticism, your speed, with all this weight you've added? That's Yeah, that's something that uh, – the new strength up with Coach Feld has, has done a great job of. We, we kept track of, like, our miles per hour at our top 40 speed and, and uh, increased by a couple of miles per hour. So it's it's been really fun to be a part of and, and uh, excited to get back there and keep working. All right, man. Well, I'm excited to see you, man. Can't wait to watch you this fall. Thank you. Uh, one of the most fun players to watch. It's going to be a fun offense to watch here at Oregon as well. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're one of the most explosive players in college football, Arizona quarterback Khalil Tate. Khalil, how you doing, man? Doing all right. How about you, sir? I'm doing great, man. I, I want to kind of start and go back to high school school here because in the scouting world you, you always when you're filling out a report you always kind of look back and see where guys went to high school and this Sarah high school pops up <laughs> way too much talent yeah. to be at one school uh give, give the folks that are listening or, or watching us here just some of the talent that's rolled through your high school oh well, I mean Sarah high school is a small high school in uh LA county San Gardena to be specific uh we got guys like Robert Woods you know George Farmer was a five star coming out of high school Marquise Lee um, Paul Richardson, Adoree, right? Adoree Jackson, uh, John Houston, Jay, uh, Jordan Lasley, who was just with got picked up by the Ravens. Uh, Rasheem Green is with the Seahawks, 
and uh, many more. <laughs> <laughs> not too bad, right? Exactly, yeah. Well, take me back to your process going through the recruiting thing here. Now, I imagine some folks saying, okay, come in, you be a quarterback. Other mm-hmm. folks saying, you're such a great athlete. Maybe we want you to, to play DB, play receiver, running back, what have you. What was that decision process like for you, and were you adamant at that point in time, I'm playing quarterback? Yeah, I mean, that, that made my decision pretty easier. Um, really just to dissect and filter out who wanted me to play quarterback, who wanted me to play anything else. Mm-hmm. Um I ended up having the top six. So I had UCLA, USC, Boise State, Texas A&M, Nebraska, and Arizona. And uh, really I just didn't want to stay home. You know, I've always been the type to be my own person, so I wanted to go somewhere <laughs> where I could make my own path not like I'm doing now and uh, really not be too close but not be too far you know, so my family can still come see me whenever they want to. What point last year did you realize, okay, this is – this is kind of a lot of attention now. I mean, because you took off and you were kind of like the story in college football for a period of time. Was there ever a moment where it just kind of hits you and you're like, okay, wow, this is kind of a big deal now? Yeah, I mean, people used to keep sending me like the uh, the Heisman polls because mm-hmm. I wasn't on Twitter a whole lot during the season, so they will send me like the little polls and I'll see that and I was just like, wow. So <laughs> I, wasn't expect- I, I wasn't really – I never grew up really caring about like Heisman and trying to be this, trying to be that. I always take it day by day, so – it's really surreal. Well, tell me about your game now. What have you been working on here in the offseason? I'm um, really just being a better leader, uh, working on technique um, as far as keeping my back foot down when I'm after I deliver the ball and come across, you know, those little intangibles. Cool. How has your uh, transition been here with the new coaching staff? Uh, it's been great. You know, like I said, I had A&M, you know, they offered me in my top six, and Sumlin was there. And also at UCLA when they offered me. Mazzoni was there. So now he's our offensive coordinator and Sumlin's our head coach. So I think it kind of – all came full kinda, circle uh, for It kind of all, you know, came came perfectly. That's great, man. Well, give me, a, give me a little bit of a scouting report on your team here. What can we expect that's going to be different here from this Arizona team that maybe we saw last year? I would say more tenacious. You know, we have a, have a great leader as in Kevin Sumlin. You know, we have a lot more, um, I would say, belief. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of and how and how he preaches to us, um, we have a lot more maturity. We had a lot of young guys last year. Last year was my first year really you guys playing played, a whole you lot. You guys played a lot of young guys last, last year. Last year, uh, our running back JJ Taylor, he was a freshman, red shirt, but he was a freshman his first year playing. So it was really all of our first year getting the feel. So I think you know this year being a year two. All of us pretty much in the same boat as far as, you know, trying to prove ourselves. So I feel like we're in a great position. You guys played a lot of young guys on defense as well. A lot of yeah. your best players last year lot. were young players. <laughs> exactly. So with this class, all these guys, you kind of came in there together then, a bunch yeah. of you here over the, that two-year period. Did you know kind of coming in the door, okay, we've got, a, we've got a pretty special thing going here if we can keep this group together? Yeah, well, I wasn't sure um, just because, you know, it was different. Just because you know, I was – I think I was going to my sophomore year um, – I didn't really – being in college, I haven't really looked at the recruiting like that. I don't really yeah. look back, like, who we getting, who we getting. I'm not really – a lot of people worried. I'm not really worried about that just because yeah. I'm trying to, you know, make myself better. But, I mean, it, it was – it's crazy how, you know, it's, it's our class and the class behind us that, you know, really, you know, got this thing rolling. And also, the upperclassmen do a great job in, you know, holding their own. Give me your uh, give me your favorite NFL player, maybe somebody you try and model your game after. I don't necessarily have a favorite player. I don't really watch the NFL too much, mm-hmm. you know, just because, like I said, I've never been the type to be that into football. Like, oh, my God, I need to, like, I've, I've always been a kid. Like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do – Exactly. I'm going to do, you know, regular kid things every day, live life. I'm not going to try to look 
that far ahead because when you look too far ahead, that's when things don't work your way. I uh, hear you. How about give me a vi- – what's your favorite video game? You got a video game that you're um, – you I like playing right Grand Theft Auto. I do not play Fortnite. So, okay. That yeah. was coming. I was, that I know, was my yeah. next question. There you I go. Knew where exactly. I was going there. Yeah. there you go. No Meet Fortnite. Yeah, why? Give me the, an- the answer. Uh, I, I just feel like I don't want to be a statistic. You know, I feel like everybody wants to play it. They go, oh, my God, play it, play it. And I'm just like – like I said, I've always been my own person. So, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I've I'm been not, around it multiple times as far as, like, say, the TV and you're playing, I'm watching you play it, but I've never put my hands on a remote, ever. Yeah, like, you go to USC and play Fortnite. No, I'm going to Arizona, <laughs> and I'm going to play Grand Theft Auto. Exactly. That's, just, that's you being you. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Grand Theft Auto is a fun game also. You can do, like, different heists with, you know, three players that you have. You know, you have to – do certain things around the city. And, I mean, it takes place in Los Angeles. So, so you know the streets. I'm pretty, and exactly. I'm pretty pretty aware. You know. Nice. Oh, 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 no, exactly. no. Don't go down that street. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, hey, man, we wish you the best of luck uh, this fall. We'll be following you. Uh, one of the most exciting players. You're fun to watch, man. Best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, there you go, Buck. Two uh, really interesting quarterbacks that uh, a lot of eyeballs will be on this year in Justin Herbert and Khalil Tate. And Herbert. Man, just physically looks different than the guy that we saw last year. Completely different. He looks like a franchise quarterback in every sense of the word. That's a grown big, man. Big, big hands, long arms. He's filled out physically where he looks like he could withstand a pounding. And I know the comparison to Ben Roethlisberger is always thrown out there for a bunch of quarterbacks. But, man, when you see a big strapping fellow like that um, who can run around and make plays, he certainly kind of fits that that criteria that profile it'll be i want to see what he looks like in a system that may be a little different than willie taggart's system uh what do they do there how do they put him on the move has he advanced and matured when it comes to processing information on the move didn't have a great bowl game so i really want to see how he takes what he learned from the bowl game and puts into action during the regular season when we get a chance to see them kick off and you get over to Khalil Tate. I mean, he's got a head coach now that's produced a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. I don't know. Is he? Is he? Uh, is he getting another one here? I mean, with Khalil Tate, with the numbers he can put up on the ground, they start off the season. BYU, Houston. How about two kind of uh, under the radar? I guess you could say Heisman candidates because they're not traditional candidates with with a running quarterback and a defensive lineman. But week two, when you get Ed Oliver chasing around Khalil Tate. That's going to be a lot of fun. Ed Oliver um, needs to eat his Wheaties that week. Needs to make sure he gets <laughs> on the treadmill, gets his cardio in, because Khalil is going to run all over the place. Um, yeah, you know, uh, for Kevin Sumlin, having the opportunity to coach Johnny Menzel and being able to take some of the things he did with Johnny, use those same things with Khalil Tate, you talk about a Heisman Trophy candidate that you may want to get behind early, Khalil Tate could be that guy, because we saw how sensational and remarkable he was at the end of the season when he finally got his opportunity. Different offense, similar scheme. He could be dynamite. Yeah, I look forward to uh, to seeing how he develops and how he fits into this new offense there at Arizona. Pac-12 South wide open. Talked to a, a buddy that had just gone through this, the tour here. Scouts are getting out, and he had already kind of gone through all the schools that are in the Pac-12 South. And see if you can figure this one out, Buck. He said, I would say probably one school would be the would be my overwhelming favorite just after going through the visits. Who do you think it would be? Mm, Pac-12? Pac-12 South. <sighs> favorite. So what happens is these scouts get out, and you get a chance to go to wow. practices. You get a favorite. chance to talk to um, coaches. And see. it's kind of seeing South? what all they had. Gosh, man, it has to be SC, right? SC always has to be the favorite based on that. That's what, I, that's what you would think. But he just said there will be an adjustment there with a the young quarterback. And uh, they got some really, really good young players. 
but just when you look at guy a team with older guys, more talent, well coached, ready to go right now, he said he thinks this team will win the Pac-12 South. Utah? They have, there you go. Really? The, U, the Utah Utes. Because I know it's not Colorado. I know you it's said not Utah. Arizona. I know it's the, not Utah. Arizona State. I know it's not UCLA. So it's yeah. Well, Whittingham, Whittingham has done a really good job of building in the trenches. They have NFL guys on 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 the tre- in the trenches both sides every year. So they're really good up front. They've TV's got a veteran back. quarterback Huntley yep. that's played some ball there. Got a good secondary. He so that's he thinks they're a really good football team based off just going through the swing. I mean, they are always they always are really good. I mean, they team. lost in the last play that SC last year with Sam Darnold. Rice I mean, Eccles, tough place to play too. Yeah, they're at home against SC this year. Ooh, and that's SC. I, I think's lost the last two times they've been up there. They they have yes, yes they have. So I, the other thing he said was, if UCLA, you know, he said Chip that's, will eventually get it the way he wants it, but that is a bad looking football team right now. Like that's that's oh. they have a long ways to go. Really, that's funny because he basically said, "I will pray for them when they play Oklahoma." Like if they keep that even remotely close against Oklahoma, Chip Kelly just put him in the College Football Hall of Fame right now. Hey, it might be the time. You know, Chip can sometimes pull rabbits out of hats. Yeah, he just said, you know, when Chip has it going up at Oregon, he has a certain body types that he likes. He wants guys to be lean so they can all run. But obviously at Oregon, they're long, athletic, and lean. He said basically he had some, you know, stubbier bodies that he leaned out. So now you don't have any length or any size. Like he said, they just look like a tiny football team out there. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it all works out. But uh, Chip Kelly will eventually get the thing. He'll get the ship uh, in the right direction. I just think it might take a little bit longer. I think people anticipating they're going to roll out and just be a 10-win 10, 10 team because Chip showed up. Man, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> I, I was ready. To, I was ready. I thought he, I thought some of the excitement was going to be about UCLA. I was like, man, is UCLA? Did Chip, no. did Chip no. make that? Negative. Uh, Not so much. Uh, but eventually they'll get there. He, said, he did say he thinks that uh, uh, that freshman quarterback's got a chance to be really good. The kid from Gorman, Which one? From Bishop, oh, from Bishop Gorman. DKR? Yeah. yeah. He hasn't – I mean, look, dude hasn't played a lot of ball. He's only played one season, spent the majority of his high school career behind Tate Martell, who was a legendary high school quarterback before going to Ohio State. Got his opportunity last year. Is solid, dynamic, terrific athlete, can make some plays on the move. And we know one thing Chip Kelly can do is he can take a quarterback and he can build a system that will really elevate him. Maybe, just maybe, he'll get in the mix – haven't heard his name kind of mentioned as as one to start because I know Wilton Spade is over there. Yeah, they have the uh, return from last year, yeah. so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. They've been very, very private and quiet about what's going on <laughs> at UCLA. Now well, there you go. Well, I'll be interested to see how that football team looks. Uh, busy show today, Buck. We covered a lot of uh, a lot of ground. We got the Hard Knocks. We got the NFC West preview. Um, we've got some college stuff. I do want to get though to your to your notebook before we get to these Hansus jokes here. Uh, almost skipped over this. You've got a notebook coming up, and this notebook you guys are going to want to check out, nfl.com slash Bucky Brooks, because you've got nuggets on all 32 teams in the notebook this week, which I believe comes out tomorrow. And one of the nuggets, though, to me caught my eye, uh, was was regarding a certain Cowboys wide receiver. Yeah, Cole Beasley. Uh, Dak Prescott talked about um, Cole Cole Beasley is going to be his go-to guy. And I think anyone who watched the Cowboys, not in 20. 17, but in 2016, noticed that Cole Beasley played a big role in that offense. He was a guy that really worked well inside the numbers as a slot receiver. He's one of the more dynamic slot receivers that you will find. Terrific route runner and playmaker. 
However, when you project him out as a number one receiver, it is uncommon for a team to have a slot receiver as the number one. But I do believe this is kind of a new norm in the National Football League. When we look at what Cleveland is going to do with Jarvis Landry and how they paid him, they're going to feature him. In Dallas, I believe this system is going to look more like the way the New England Patriots have operated for years, where they have a bunch of quick guys on the field. They put them in situations where they're working against linebackers and nickel and dime DBs, and they just kind of nickel and dime their way down the field. Cole Beasley, to me, is a candidate to have 100 to 110 receptions. I don't know how many touchdowns he'll get, but I think if you're a a fantasy guy, a guy that believes in finding these guys that can dominate a PPR league, I think Cole Beasley could be a guy that is effective as a number one receiver because the Cowboys are going to work their passing game from inside out, which is something that they haven't done for years and years on end with Tony Romo and the other quarterbacks that they've had in the fold. Do you have access where you can get the information where it shows uh, how many snaps or how many of the catches came from the slot? Uh, I know that I information don't. is out there. You it is get out there. Like that. when we go uh, next gen stats, I think we can get it like that. Go get get this from next gen stats. If you haven't written this yet on that, because add this nugget in there. Because last year, as I'm looking at the reception leaders in the league, Jarvis Landry was number one with 112. I know he's in the slot. Larry Fitzgerald was second, 109 catches. I know he's in the slot. Michael Thomas from New Orleans actually, I believe, spends a good bit of time in the slot. With the Saints, Keenan Allen with the Chargers, 102 catches, a lot in the slot. Uh, Antonio Brown, you know he moves inside out. DeAndre Hopkins uh, primarily outside. Golden Tate was next. He spends a lot of time in the slot. I mean, that's that's like the you're getting to the top ten there, Buck. There are a lot of slot receivers catching a million balls in the league right now. And that's the way. It's the easiest way to create mismatches. It's also the shortest throw for the quarterback. Yep. You put a quick, shifty guy against a linebacker or nickel corner where you can get a decided advantage. It allows the ball to come out the quarterback's hands quickly. He doesn't have to take any shots. And if he's a runner after the catch, you gobble up a lot of hidden yardage with those little quick throws. I'd just be curious to see of the guys in the top ten, how many of them spent more than fifty, caught more than fifty percent of their passes in the slot. Oh man, I bet get some next gen stats on that, Buck. Get yeah, on gotta it. Get in there. I got to put the research team on that. Uh, get them on it. Uh, all right, that's uh, that's it for us on the football stuff. We do want to have a little fun though before we get out of here. Uh, mentioned it at the top. Put a couple codes out there for the Madden 19 game, and in order to be eligible, I needed to, I encouraged the folks to give us some Dan Hanzoos jokes. And Sully has compiled our top ten favorite Dan Hanzoos top 10 jokes, fellas. and said with with a lot of love, a lot of love. Absolutely, it's a, friendly, it's a friendly rivalry, but we like needling our our guys over there at the around the NFL. Yeah, pod, so. as as they like needling us as well. So uh, let's get it going at number ten. Uh, Dan, you have a drum roll or no? No, 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 no. Drum rolls for the last one. No, no. We can't, oh, we can't start with the drum roll. Can't okay, that's fine. That's fine. All right. Okay, go ahead. Go so, ahead. Uh, at number 10, at J underscore guy says, Dan Hanzoos is the Jay Cutler of podcasting. And I think he's not talking about the Chris, the very cavalier Jay <laughs> not Cutler. Not the fun-loving Not Jay the fun-loving. We're talking cavalier. smoking cigs <laughs> on the sidelines after throwing yeah. 160 picks. All right, uh, go ahead. At next. number nine. This one's self-explanatory. Uh, Tyler Hill says, at Dan Hanzoos, where's jorts? Wow. That's a fact. That's not that's, an opinion, that, but go ahead. It's, Next. it's not quite a joke. It's a fact. Okay. At number eight, uh, Adrian says, Dan Hanzoos plays franchise on rookie and still can't win the Super Bowl with the Jets. So well, yeah, keep that's, it that's another, fact. Yeah, yep, that's another that's fact. That's another fact. Tied it all together. Go ahead. Yep. Yep. At number seven, Dan Hanzoos can't sleep without a nightlight. 
It's a scary, well, it's a scary mean, world out not there, a, guys. That's not a surprise. No, that's it's not. a scary world, though. Not a surprise, though. You're right, you're right. At number six, Billy says, trusting Dan Hansus's fantasy advice is as good as trusting a web pop-up saying you have won a free iPad. <laughs> that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. I like that that's one. Pretty good. Keep them yeah, moving. Yeah, don't don't and yeah, just just PSA. Don't don't click those pop ups. No, that's bad news. All right, Jordan Palmquist says Dan Hansus takes his shoes off on the plane. That is disgusting. Oh, Damashek. I could see like that. that. That's right. If going. you uh, follow at Damashek, he uh, he keeps a running tab on people that take their shoes off. Next one up, Dan uh, Richie Weber says Dan Hansus goes to bed wishing he hosted the Move the Sticks podcast. That is also that's a, a fact. That's a fact. That's also a fact. A fact. I mean, this is, this is a running running list of facts. At at number three, Nuckets says Dan Hanzus pours his milk before the cereal. That's just oh wow. That's, that's just personal. <laughs> that's just gross. That's personal. And at number two. Ooh, especially being a a, a, a New York area. I know he's technically from a little a little coal mining town, but technically New York area. Dan Hanzus. Eats his pizza with a fork. Oh wow, that's personal. Says Mark. Yeah, that's it that's is. that's a deep deep d- deep dig deep dig. And All right, are we number one now. Drum last, roll? but certainly not least. Michael says, "Knock knock, who's there?" Dan Hanzus. Dan Hanzus, who? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yowzer. So that was your top. Well 10. done. Well okay. done. Well done to uh, uh, I everybody. Think he got, I think he got some followers out of that deal, though. I think his follower count might have jumped yeah, up nice a little bit. Yeah, nice tip of the cap. We, we took some digs, but you got, uh, you, got, you got a nice follower <laughs> bump for him on Twitter. Ah, see, we give, we give. We're givers here. We're not just taking. He hasn't, uh, he but, hasn't, he hasn't responded yet? No, nah, I haven't got anything yet. I haven't oh got anything yet. He boy. did say, though, he did send me a direct message and inform me that he had codes as well. Uh, inferring that I apparently something's coming our way, but oh, I don't know. Yep. I don't know. Oh, oh boy, a battle. Yeah. Oh boy, we'll see. Well, I, I like our chances. Battle, I like our chances. Battle of the network stars. We still yeah. need to. We <laughs> still need to have. No, no, like no. A, it's Hanzus, Buck. It's it's. Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, what else you got? Anything else you want to promote here, Buck? Before we get out of here, man, that's all I got. Uh, promote that you make your debut, which should be fun on Saturday night, man. I'm I'm excited to uh, hear back you. your responses on uh, what it's like. To call it, to call your favorite yeah. team coming up. That I, should be cool. I, I'm excited to be with uh, with our buddy, Matt Money Smith. It'll be like a little reunion. Got to get you to come up into the, into the booth. We can, yes, <laughs> we can get the gang back together uh, here. So it, it'll be fun. Get some preseason action. A ton of games tonight. Looking forward to that. A lot of these top rookies will be in action, and we'll have a reaction for you on our next podcast. So we do appreciate you guys listening, for downloading, for leaving us a, a ranking and a review there on uh, Apple Podcasts. That is a huge help. We do appreciate that. Uh, Until next time, this has been the Move the Sticks podcast presented by Castro Edge, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. 
There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 